I have to tell you, you know, because it's funny. Actually, it'd be funny if I had a video. I asked Brent this morning. I said, Brent, can I borrow your waders? You know, mine have that leak, you know. And I haven't bought any more. And so I said, can I borrow your waders? And he said, yeah. I said, will they fit? And he goes, yeah, they're big. I'm not sure they're that big. So I get in my office, and I, I'm standing there on one leg trying to get my foot in the boot that has collapsed. And so I finally sit down, and I do manage to get one on before I call in the reinforcements. Say, Dave, come help me get these waders on. <laughs> and so he got the other boot half on. And then finally I stand up, and fortunately they're stretchable. It's like a girdle. It's incredible. I said... <laughs> I all of a sudden feel so swim, slim and debonair, you know, debonair. So, wow. It was really quite an experience that I was trying to tell you. If, if, we had, if we had a camera back there, we would all be wealthier because we would sell it and YouTube it and we'd have a, it'd go viral. It'd go viral. So, anyway, are you glad to be here tonight? It's great. It's wonderful. I'm so glad we can laugh. Rest of those hearts of little kids are awesome. And I'm, I'm sure it's not as hot as when Brent had it, but it was plenty hot. It was plenty hot. Okay. Hey, tonight, go ahead and take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to talk about, again, what seems to be a favorite topic now uh, in these days that we are living in. And the story, the tradition goes that um, they would, when John got old, John, the gospel writer John, got old, they would have to carry him to church. And while they were carrying him, they would kind of go... You know, are we talking about love again? And John says, yes, we're talking about love again. Because he realized just how important it is. Of course, you know, he got to walk and talk with Jesus. He, he got to hear the verbiage, you know, firsthand that, that about loving one another. And he realized the weaknesses in the church was this. And so probably I, I'm very much aware how much I talk about this. But I also am very much aware how much we need to hear it over and over again. And since we're preaching through 1 John, I'm teaching through 1 John, as he hits it, we're going to hit it, and we're going to assume that is the will of God. So we get to hear it again. Now what I want to do is back up just a little bit and grab verse 10. We touched on that last week, but I want to grab it again, bring it in, and then we're going to take a total different um, different U-turn. John does, and so we're going to also and take a look at a different way of um, looking at love, all right? Well, looking at no love. Here we go. First John chapter 3, verse 10. It says, In this, now this is the part we did last week, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Now, now you'll notice there's absolutes here. Do you see that? There's no middle ground. He says, There is a way that you can look at a person and, and not for the purpose of casting rocks, not for the purpose of judging, but Jesus did say you shall know them by their fruits. And so, and so for the purpose of, of simply life, looking at ourselves and perhaps helping another person, he says there is a way that you can look at a person and see if they belong to God or if they belong to the devil. There was no middle ground. There was that, you know, we talk about the gray area. There was no gray area. It just simply was not there. And here's what he says. There is a way, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now, again, we talked about this, I think it was Wednesday night. We talked about the fact it's a, it's a continual lifestyle. When you have a lifestyle that does not line up with the Bible, there's an indication that something is wrong. 
In the culture we live in, it seems like that somewhere as a child you can make some kind of commitment, or perhaps even as an adult, you can make some kind of a commitment, and you know it may stay hot for a little while, but, but you can drift away and, and, and you don't come back. I mean, there's no lifestyle, there's no change in your life, okay? And there needs to be, because the gospel clearly teaches that when Jesus Christ touches your life, that there really are some changes that take place. Now, the key thing is this. And if you're a note taker and you're taking notes tonight, write this down. This is an indicator. This, this practice of righteousness has nothing to do as methodology on how to become right with God. And again, I know you say, Dwayne, you say that over again. I want to hammer it into our heads. There is a place for righteousness and holiness in the life of the believer, but it has nothing to do with the methodology of getting us to, in favor with God. But it is a sign, it's a birth sign, it's, 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 a, it's an indicator that we belong to God. And that's what John is saying. John's not saying you need to practice righteousness so you can get right with God. The grace does that, the blood does that. But there should be an indicator that that grace and blood has been applied. And that is, that is this righteous lifestyle. And, and again, the motivation for a righteous lifestyle is love. It's love. Because you love God and God loves you. Don't. Don't switch motivations. The strongest motivator is love. So he says the person who does not practice righteousness, who has a consistent lifestyle that simply does not line up with the word of God, there's an indicator that something is seriously wrong. And then the one that I've just fallen in love with because I think it's so important and we don't teach it enough, even yet, is nor is he who does not love his brother. So the two big, and in this strange, I want you to think about this. You know, righteousness and love. Those probably are not the two you would pick as an indicator of, of a person being a Christian. We would probably say, frankly, church attendance. That's a, if you go to church, that's a strong indicator that you know Jesus Christ as Savior. And it is an indicator. But according to John, the strongest one is a, a lifestyle that reflects your right standing with God, okay, and your love for people. Now listen, I've been a Baptist for a long time. And I'll even paraphrase that, and I'll even change that and say, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been fortunate to pastor, this is my fourth church uh, in 32 years. Um, I've been raised in the church, and I've been around church people long enough to know that some of the most difficult people and hardest people, and frankly, can I say sometimes the meanest people, are not outside the church, they can be in the church. And the reason that's a problem is because it goes directly against the Word of God. Because he says that a sign that we love God is that we love our brothers. This is big. You know, sometimes people say, uh, we want something deep tonight. We want something deep. Buddy, it gets no deeper than love God, love people. It gets no deeper than love God, love people. Let me read to you a paragraph and a quote from, from D.L. Moody. This paragraph is from the commentary. God's children must be loving. Yet many fail to love. So often today there's a deep dislike, that's probably mildly put, a deeply dislike among Christians. Churches struggle with issues that divide the members. All churches need to work on love and harmony. Jesus wanted his followers to be unified as a powerful witness to reality of God's love. Believers must help to unify their churches. They can pray for other Christians. They can avoid gossip, build others up, work together in humility, give their time and money, exalt Christ, 
and refuse to get involved in divisive matters. That's what we can do, and that's what we should do as the people of God. D.L. Moody said this, Joy is love exalted, peace is love in repose, long-suffering is love enduring, gentleness is love in society, goodness is love in action, faith is love on the battlefield, meekness is love in school, and temperance is love in training. So Jesus says that the world will know we are Christians by the fact that we love one another. In fact, as we look down in verse number 11, here's what it says. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. So now John's reflecting back to the times when he got to hear Jesus, the times that he got to hear the very words of Jesus. And the message that we heard from the beginning, now let this soak in. This is the one you know, because I taught it, other preachers have taught it, you may have heard it in Sunday school. This is John 13, 34, and 35. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just, now here's the type love. Just as I have loved you, you must, it's not optional, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now this is huge, guys. This is big. Jesus is saying, what is the greatest witness to the world out there as far as our lifestyle is? Our love. Our love. What is now what the world says about the church most often? They don't love one another. The standing joke in Baptist community is a new church was born because they split again. Somebody got mad. Somebody didn't like this. Somebody didn't like that. Somebody like that. And divide and divide and divide. I've heard too many jokes about multiplying by division. It's not funny anymore. God didn't call our church to be split in division. It called us to love one another. It's huge, guys. It's huge. And so for some reason, and I'm not saying this is easy, but for some reason, we, we almost take it like it's an option. How many of you all have ever bought a car before? A new car? A new car. Anyone had the right to order their car? You know, when you, order a, when you order a car, when you buy a car, but when you order a car particularly, there are certain features that are standard equipment. Then you can go over and say, well, you know what, Mr. Dealer? I would like to have memory seats. I'd like to have navigation. Um, I would like to have heated and cooled seats. Um, I would like to have the little hickey things on the mirrors that tell me in my blind spot if a car is there. Oh, those stock wheels, they don't look good. I want uh, alloy wheels. We could give them a list of options. Well, in the Christian life, love is not an optional equipment. It is standard. Now listen, listen. This is important to Jesus. And if it's important to Jesus, it's got to be important to us. Now I don't know. I, I don't think I probably need to teach tonight, nor do I intend to teach tonight, at least not, not entirely, about, well, what is loving one another? Well, you know, Christ kind of said it there when he said, you know, uh, just as I have loved you. In the same way that Jesus loved them, we're to love each other. So in the same way that Jesus loves you, you are to love people. And that doesn't require their perfection. It doesn't require all their agreement. It requires just simply that they're a creation of God. They're your brother in Christ and you love them. I mean, I promise you, Peter wasn't perfect and John wasn't perfect and James wasn't perfect. None of those guys were perfect. Yet Jesus loved them. 
So he says to love one another. And then verse 12, I always thought this was so cool. In verse 12, he adds a, this is where he kind of goes a different route. And he gives us an example of not love. Not, he says, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Not as Cain. Okay? Now, interestingly enough, the Bible teaches, and we'll get to it, I think, in the, in, but let me get it to you now to make sure we get it. Apparently, Cain played up to, to Abel and apparently led him out away from the crowd. He feigned friendship. He feigned brotherly love for the purpose of getting Abel away so he could kill him. So, so John is saying, don't love falsely. Don't love to gain or what you can get out of it. And certainly don't love to get into a person's inner circle so then you can stab them. Don't do that. Don't love as Cain, who was of the wicked one. Now, it's very interesting. Notice what the Bible says. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one. In other words, you know, he was of the wicked one. Now, he wasn't of the wicked one, okay, because he murdered. He murdered because he was of the wicked one. You got that? You know, being a murderer didn't make him the, of the wicked one. He murdered because he was of the wicked one. Very, very, very important. Very clear distinction. Now, what we want to do now, and by the way, let me, let me read to you of John 8, 44. I just saw I made a note of that. You know, here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees this morning. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and keep in mind Cain, and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So we're going to see tonight in Cain, we're going to see, one, he was a murderer like his father, and two, he was a liar like his father. We're going to see both those things tonight. So take your Bibles now and go back to Genesis chapter 4. And we want to look at the story of Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This is very interesting. Genesis chapter 4. Well, actually, we're going to go through like the first six, eight verses. Maybe more than that. Now, the Bible says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Unusual, by the way, that Eve did the naming and not Adam. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now, here's where we start getting distinctives. The Bible says in verse 2, Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, only an observation here, but I think it's a, it's a really good one, is that Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Now, if you remember correctly, in Genesis 3.21, I think, I believe it is, when, when God did something that had never been done before, he took an innocent, innocent animal and he slew that animal, okay, and made coats or coverings for Adam and for Eve, okay? Animals were not cursed. In fact, in fact, man was given dominion over the animals of the earth. And then you'll notice that Cain was a tiller of the ground. What was cursed after the sin? The ground. The ground. So we see two distinctions here. Again, that probably ought to give us pause. One, Abel doing what originally was intended, that was mastering, be master over the animals, and Cain living under the curse or in the curse of sin where he must sweat by the sweat of his brow 
he will make his living. Now, probably the biggest difference between Cain and Abel, apparently, is their attitude. Their attitude. And you're going to see that played out in these coming verses. Verse 3. So, in the process of time, okay, now, we're assuming, and it's not a bad assumption according to the commentaries, and I've I fault this anyway, so there's to agree with me and I'm agreeing with them, that there was a prior revelation that somehow, somewhere, God had made a revelation about sacrifices. That God had made a revelation to Adam that there was to be a certain type of sacrifice, and that was what? A blood sacrifice. We see that clearly again in Genesis 3.21 where God made the covering. You know, man took the leaves. Do you remember that? Man took leaves and made a covering, and that's man's works. Okay, but God took and shed innocent blood to cover the man's, symbolically covering the man's simple nature. Do you see that? Do you see that? All right. So, so the Bible says, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Remember? The cursed part. All right. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. So we see two totally separate sacrifices. One by the work of the hands of a man, and one, his mastery of the sacrifice of animals. Do you see the difference? One works, one blood, if you want to say that. Now, again, it's interesting. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts because it was a blood sacrifice. It was by grace. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Now listen to this interesting verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And I'm going to read again a portion of a verse. But it's the whole verse, but it's a portion of a thought. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the acceptor or the a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, let me stick a couple of words in for you. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the acceptable blood sacrifice of Abel. So, so the Bible clearly says that the blood of Abel is not his spilt blood. It's his sacrifice. And he compares the fact that this was a good sacrifice, but Jesus was the ultimate perfect sacrifice because he was the sinless lamb of God. So it's very clear that what Abel did was in accordance with God's purpose and will and obedience, and Cain was not, just like we do all the time. Just like I told about the giant scale this morning. There are people, 99.99% of the, of the religions of the world, you work, you work, you work, you're Cain. The only religion that's different is Christianity, through the blood of Jesus Christ, by God's grace, and that's the spilt blood. Don't, don't lose that. That's really important. And that's really big. So the Bible goes on and says this now. Can I pick up a three again? And the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. How interesting. How interesting. Cain's response to God's rejection was anger and jealousy and envy and the killing of a brother. I wonder how much, how often do we have private sin in our life and it tenors our relationship with others? Maybe just perhaps the reason we're quick to judge other people is because of sin in our life 
that we are dealing with. You know, again, people who don't feel loved can't love. People who really don't understand grace can't extend grace. Just maybe the reason there's such a love problem in the church is that we don't understand God's love. Perhaps there's such a love problem in the church is that we don't understand how deeply and how richly God loves us, which really was what the message was about this morning. So we go on, and the Bible said that he became angry and his countenance fell. Verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? This is so beautiful. God cared enough to intervene. Isn't it awesome how God intervenes all the time? You understand that when we sin, God had every right to just wipe us out. But he extended grace, he extended mercy, and made a way that we could come back in a relationship with him. Here God chooses to intervene with Cain. Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Now watch. If you do well, will you not be accepted? you understand something? This story is not about Abel being a better man than Cain. Just like the salvation story is not about Tracy, you being a better person than Judy. We are not saved because we're better than someone. We're saved because we have accepted God's grace. And that's all there is to it. You're not, again, Noah wasn't in the ark because he was a good man. Noah's in the ark because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God called, called his, counted his belief as righteousness, just like it happens today. So, so God is saying, Cain, what's going on? All you have to do is be obedient. All you have to do is accept my word, trust my word, and you will be accepted. And if you don't do well, then sin lies at the door. What a warning. Now look at me. You need to hear this tonight. When God convicts us of sin and we don't respond in an appropriate way asking forgiveness and in repentance, we are inviting disaster into our lives. When God warns us about a weakness in our marriage, when God warns us in a weakness in our character, when God warns us in a weakness in our families and we don't respond correctly, we are inviting disaster. Listen, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 26, let me read it to you. If you're ang- in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. And when we don't respond to God's pleading and calling us to repentance as believers, we're inviting disaster into our lives. Amen? How many of y'all have had that? How many of y'all can look back in your life and God was shouting, Don't do that! And you said, I don't care, I want to. And disaster fell on you. And there were consequences. And it was nasty. And it was ugly. And it was painful. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Yeah, sure enough. Don't give the devil a foothold. Again, I really want you to understand something that happened in my prayer time. I shared it Wednesday night and I shared it with somebody else. I don't even remember who it was now. That was a staff meeting. I'm telling you, it happened like this. And if you heard the story, then just endure with me because it's it's very poignant. It happened last Monday, I believe. You know, something that it well, it must have been Tuesday because I did something Monday. It was I don't remember what it was. It don't even matter what it was, but I disobeyed. The bottom line was, and and I'd even by the way told God, God, I'm sorry. It was it was under the blood. It was it was. I asked him. I told him I was sorry. But that morning, I'm sitting there praying, and I was praying for something, a, a church member, if I remember correctly. And I said, God, I know I don't have the right to pray. And those words, I pray out loud. And those words came out of my mouth, 
And I'm telling you, God spoke to me as clearly. I could hear it in my heart and may have heard it all of me. I don't know. But God said, that's not true. That's not true. You are my child. You have a right to pray. So let me ask you a question. Who was telling me I didn't have the right to pray? Satan did. The devil did. He will take and beat us up, and we're foolish if we listen to him. Too many of us have listened to him over and over again, and it's left up with a distorted view of the Father as a stern, hateful Father and not a loving Father. And we bought it hook, line, and sinker. Don't give the devil... I'm so glad God spoke up. And I even said that out loud again. I don't mind telling you. God, you're right. God, you're right. I do have the right to pray. Because I have the right to pray because you're my father, not because I perform like, like I should every time. It's all about God's amazing and wonderful grace. Well, he said, it's, it's desire is for you. Again, God speaking to Cain. It's desire is for you, but you should rule over it. I thought about Peter. When Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Oh, if we could see in the spiritual realm how much Satan wants to mess us up. I'll give it to him tonight. That, you know, some of you are going to get next week that I was sitting in Sunday school lesson thinking about next week's sermon. Um, I, I'm a multitasker. And I have this lying problem that goes along with it, you know. But, you know, I told David, I said, David, I was sitting in Sunday school class, and there are two great lies. You know, before we're saved, God, or excuse me, Satan speaks lies to us and makes more of us than we are. You don't need God. Look at this. Look at this. And after we're saved, he makes less of us. We are children of God. We are blood-bought and redeemed. And Satan will tell you you're nothing but a failure and you're nothing but trash and, you know, God doesn't love you. Lie, lie, lie. Lie, lie, lie. God does love you. And you're not a failure. You're not a piece of trash. You're a blood-bought child of the king. And don't forget that. Don't forget that. Man, it's desire is for you. But Jesus said, I prayed for you that when you fail, that you'll turn back and you'll strengthen your brothers. Well, here's the death story. You know, Cain talked with Abel and his brother and came to pass when they were out in the field. You know, perhaps it was, hey, Abel, why don't you come out with me and look at my tomatoes? I don't know. Or, or perhaps, hey, let's go out and take, let's check your flock out. You know, God's so enamored with your flock, let's go take a look at your flock. And that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. I can see the knife in the back. And it may not have been a knife. It may have been stone. It may have been just beating him to a pulp. I don't know. But he killed his brother. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And what did I tell you about Cain? He was a murderer and a liar. He said, I don't know. Liar. Lied to God. Lied to God. I don't know. And my, bro- my brother's keeper, how callous. How, how can we be callous toward our brothers? How, how can we be that? He was. He was. You know, am I my brother's keeper? And by the way, the answer is yes. And verse 10, and God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You know, it's obvious to God. You know, we hide things and we think we can hide them from everybody, but you can't hide it from God. You know, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. So it comes down now. Now we're going to go back to verse 12, the second part. You know, we left off with part A. This is part B. And the Bible says now back in 1 John, and why did he murder him? Why did he murder him? 
because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. The bottom line, he was jealous. He was envious. Does that play a role in church? Yes, yes, yes. Jealous, envy, and may I add selfishness. If I don't get my way, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. So, then, to, to put icing on the cake tonight, I, I stumbled upon this verse, and I, iconically or ironically, um, it's also from the New Living Translation, which I said I'll only use. And I was reading last week, and I love this verbiage. I love the way the, the author wrote this, translated this, because it helps you. Because is it easy to love people? It's not easy to love your wife, is it? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Tony's easy to love. Don't answer that. <laughs> My brother over here. You know, you know, is it easy to love people? Is it easy to love people? No, it's not. Did God say it was easy to love people? No, he didn't. Okay? So it's difficult. So in Colossians 3.13, there's this wonderful verse that helps us. And it really did. It spoke to my heart. It said these words. Make allowance for one another's faults. Make allowance for one another's faults. Make allowance for that. Are you perfect? Are you perfect? Is your brother perfect? Isn't that amazing? How about that? Two imperfect people. In fact... Is anybody here perfect? Then why do we expect our brother to be? Why do we expect our wives to be husbands? Why do we expect our wives to be perfect when you're not? And, and wives, why do you expect your husband to be perfect? And why do we expect our children to be perfect? We're not. Make allowance. I think the King James says, forbear one another. It translates literally, put up with one another. Sometimes you just have to put up. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. It's kind of hard, isn't it? And listen, listen. Remember, Paul says, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The Lord forgave you, so you've got to forgive. So again, as we think about 2016, um, and boy, you're going to hear this. I think I really do think God's not let it go. God's not let it go. Uh, in 2016, determine who you need to love, who you need to express special love to. Who do you need to make allowance for in your life? It may be your family, it may not be your family, but who do you make allowance? And ask God. Again, I still believe the best prayer we pray sometimes is God help me. <laughs> Can I have an amen on that? God help me. We already learned and we know that we can't do this anyway, that without Jesus we can do nothing. But God help me is a really good prayer. God help me to love my wife and my children and my brothers and my sisters. You know what I think? Two things are going to happen. One, you're going to be a lot happier person. I'm going to be a lot happier person. And two, the world's going to go, I want some of that. I want some of that. You know, it's time for true confession. Jeremy's been after me like crazy to eat sugar and grits. I, it's just wrong. And the butter. Yeah, the butter. 
<laughs> well, Tim was there. He gave witness. I did it. And you know what I said? Hmm, that's not bad. <laughs> no, I know. You're rolling around with your tongue. You go, but it's grits. But it's grits, you know. But yeah, it wasn't bad. And you know, there's some, if we'll just if we'll just try sometimes, maybe maybe it won't be as bad as we think. God will give you the grace to have a forgiving heart, right, Jeremy? Sugar and grits. Let's pray. Father, help us with this. Help us with this. Oh, we need to understand. We need to grasp. We need to get a hold of this. Because there's a world out there who so desperately needs to see the real deal. And the real deal is love God, love people. You said it was, Jesus. You said it was. On this hinge, all the law and the prophets. Now, I want to thank you, God, Father, for this sweet family that we have. And we are on a journey together. And Father, I believe that this journey is going to lead us down a path where as much as we're known for being a generous church, we'll be known as a loving church. Opening our hearts and our hands to those sitting beside us, but those who might walk through the doors. And God, we do need your help. We need your help. Thank you for this really good day. As we had this time of invitation, decision, Father, if there's something that you are dealing with in our hearts, it might be salvation. It could be. It might be someone we need to ask you to help us to love tonight. It may be the person that we're married to. It may be a child that you've given us. Help us, Father, to love. Not as Cain. As can. But Jesus, as you have loved us. And I pray it, Jesus, in your precious name.